0: About to say Psalm, we're going to be in Jeremiah. Yeah. Jeremiah. Now we're doing things a little bit differently tonight. Uh, the way I like to do Jeremiah here is we usually read the chapter that we're going to be in next. And I like to read the next couple of chapters just to make sure we get a continual flow. Well, the problem is, in Jeremiah 22, it started this flow that carried over to 23, 24, and 25. So we're going to do four chapters tonight, 118 verses. So if we're out of here by 10, I think we'll be good. So, but with that being said, when you read this, 22, 23, 24, and 25, you actually, it works out best to work backwards. Because there's this great point that goes from 22 through 25. And yeah, we could have broke it down into a couple weeks, but then you lose the flow of it. And I hate doing that. So I would rather do the whole thing and work backwards. So we're going to actually start in Jeremiah 25, and we're just going to keep Working ourselves backwards. Now, a lot of this is points that we've covered before, and they're points that bear repeating. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 25, the key thing of Jeremiah 25 is this idea of judgment. That's what the book of Jeremiah is about. If you're tired of hearing about judgment, well, imagine what Jeremiah has been doing. He's been doing this ministry by the time the book is over for 40 years, and his whole message has been judgment. It's a tiresome message that no one wants to hear. Well, that's the key. Jeremiah 25, verses 8 through 9, as you can see at the top of your sheets, here's the king thing. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and perpetual desolations. We've talked about that. This is the buildup of years, centuries of sin- this is the buildup of centuries of not following the Lord, and God says judgment must come. This time frame, how long is this going to go on according to Jeremiah 25, 11, This is going to go on for 70 years. The 70 years of captivity. And if you remember correctly, we've covered this point before, for 490 years... Israel did not do a Sabbath year. So simple math, 490 divided by 7 equals 70. So what happens is God says, you owe me 70 years. And so that's how long the judgment's going to go. Do note, according to verse 14, this is not just for Israel. All these nations are going to be a judge. I've had people come up to me and say, this is really unfair. Babylon, who's this horrible sinful nation, they're a horrible nation. God uses them to judge Israel. Israel. Okay, yeah, but then what happens is Assyria, excuse me, Babylon judged Assyria, and then what happens is the Medes and the Persians judge Babylon, and the Greeks come judge the Medes and the Persians, and the Romans come and judge the Greeks, and it builds on. But you can see here in Jeremiah 25, verse 14, look at this verse one more time. For many nations and great kings shall be served by them also, and I will repay them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. Nobody gets away with anything. Nobody. I think sometimes as Christians we get frustrated because we look at the news, we look at the world and we see people who are adamantly, openly, publicly non-believers walking as non-believers and it seems like they are getting away with stuff left and right. Nobody gets away with anything. God is righteous and true and judgment comes to all men and women and it will come fairly and it will come swiftly. What God is saying here in verse 14, Yes, Israel, I'm using this heathen nation, Babylon, to judge you, but they are going to be judged as well. So the whole purpose of chapter 25 is judgment. There's not a lot you can pull out of it that's fun. There's not a lot that you can pull out of it that's edifying. It's judgment. But, as we note... Anytime there's judgment, there's always what? Grace. Look at verse 3. From the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the 23rd year in which the word of the Lord has come to me. Stop real quick, just a little bit of a time frame reference. So this is 23 years into it. So judgment is still a couple decades away. But Jeremiah has now been preaching for 23 years the same message. Verse 3, And I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Repent now, every one of his evil way and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and I will not harm you. See, look at verse 6. Do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands, and I will not harm you. There's grace. Jeremiah is saying, yes, judgment is coming, but if you guys would just listen to me. Do you know how frustrating that is? I tell you, it's easier for me as a pastor to go up to somebody who is blatantly living a life of sin and show them scripture and just say, listen, what you're doing is wrong, and I love you enough to tell you it's wrong. That's easy. What's hard Is this person that thinks they're spiritually okay and their life is not okay trying to talk to them. Jeremiah, for two decades now, has been talking to Israel, saying, Guys, judgment is coming. And guess what Israel says? There's nothing to worry about. We're not concerned in any way whatsoever. How frustrating. How completely frustrating. That's why a couple weeks ago when we studied Jeremiah, remember what Jeremiah wanted to do? He wanted to give up. Boy, we've all been in that position. We've been ministering to somebody. We've been discipling somebody. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's grandkids. Maybe it's co-workers, friends, family. I don't know. You just want to give up. But you can't. God has put this burning in you to say you can't give up on a soul. Let the Lord keep working there. So chapter 25, it's all judgment. It's just all judgment. There's not a way around that. But that is where we need to start. Now we need to work backwards and why that judgment is coming. Has anybody got any quick questions, comments about chapter 25? All right, now let's work backwards. Why are they being judged? Well, according to Jeremiah 24, there's good and bad figs. Look at verse 2. One basket had very good figs like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very bad figs which could not be eaten. They were so bad. He's got this vision, if you will, this sign of these two groups of figs, and it's really simple. There's good ones, and there's bad ones. God says, I need to judge the bad ones. It's that simple. It's the proverbial bad apple type thing. So there's these bad figs. They have to be judged. But yet, what do we see in the midst of judgment again? Grace. Look at verse 6. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. That's the good figs. Look at verse 8. And as the bad figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so bad... Surely, thus says the Lord, so will I give up Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his princes, the residue of Jerusalem, who dwell in the land, and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will deliver them to trouble and to all the kingdoms of the earth. See, look one more time at verses 6 and 7. This is a great prayer to pray for us to go deeper in our relationship with the Lord. Or, if you have a loved one that is not as strong in their relationship with the Lord as you would like them to be, or I should say as God would like them to be, Pray verses 6 and 7 for them. Just think about that. As I'm reading this, just think about that person that you would like to see go deeper. I will set my eyes on them for good. I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. How encouraging are those verses? In the midst of judgment, God says, there's still some good figs out there. I care about them. They care about me. I want to see them go deeper in me. What a blessing that is. Too often, and we say this a lot out here, especially in the Old Testament, too often we just see the Old Testament as God just seems angry. It's like he's in a really good mood in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 3, he gets in a bad mood and he stays in a bad mood all the way through Malachi. That's not the way it is. And then finally, Jesus comes in Matthew and it's like, oh, God's in a good mood again. The the, the personality of God has not changed from Genesis to Revelation. As we just were talking about on Sundays with some passages in Luke, Jesus himself said, I come to bring division, I come to bring a sword. So it's easy to look at all these passages and just see judgment. But snuggled in these purposes and these passages of judgment are these little pictures of grace. God says in chapter 24, yeah, there's a bunch of bad figs. He goes, but there's some good ones, and I want to see those good ones go deeper in the Lord. I tell you, it is really easy, really easy to get discouraged on what you see out in the world and what you see at where you work or where you go to school. It is really easy to get discouraged with that. But if you really look hard enough, God is moving and working, sometimes even when we don't see it. And you see some of these good figs, it's like, wow, Lord, you're still doing this. Rich and I have a, have a couple names out here that we'll throw around at each other. When we get to a really discouraging, depressing situation out here at church, we'll look at each other and say, Yeah, but do you remember so-and-so? And we'll both smile for a second and say, Yeah, we never thought that one would get it. And they got it. They're a good fig. you know." And I tell you right now, there's some good figs here tonight that no one ever thought you'd be a good fig. They probably still don't know if you're a good fig or not. God sees something in it. And in what in chapter 24, yeah, there's a bunch of bad figs that are going to be judged. But yet, there's this goodness. This goodness. So what happens is chapter 25 is all judgment. There's no way around that. Babylon's going to come down. We know what happened 586 B.C. Jerusalem was utterly, totally destroyed. Captives were taken away. Which is kind of an amazing miracle within itself. Because this nation was totally wiped off the map. And God brought this nation back. The the history of Israel is a miracle within itself. So, they're judged. Why were they judged? Because of chapter 24, there's some good figs, there's some bad figs. We have to judge the bad figs. Now we get to chapter 23. Who were these bad figs? Well, chapter 23 tells us they were spiritual leaders. Look here at chapter 23. Look at verses 1 and 2. Who were these spiritual leaders? Verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and have not attended to them. Behold, I will tend you for all the evil of your doings, says the Lord. That's a tough verse. That's a tough verse for me personally, because I look at that as a pastor and I say, Wow, Lord, look what is required of us. Look what's asked of us. Now, I tell you this. And I don't mean to be judgmental, but if you look at a lot of spiritual leaders in the world today, and especially of groups or denominations that claim to be Christians, there's not much spiritual leadership going on there. There's not. And you look at these verses 1 and 2, you see a lot of spiritual leaders that have scattered the flock and drove them away. We just had a situation recently, and I get this a lot, where sometimes people will contact and say, hey... Um, maybe they live in a different geographical area, or maybe they got a loved one looking for a church in a different area, and they say something like, what do you think of this church? And you've heard me joke about this before. Never ask me what I think of another pastor or church, because you're just putting me on the spot. So they said, what do you think of this denomination? I don't want to get into a denomination battle. I don't want to do that. So you look up the denomination, and you go to their statements of beliefs, and you start seeing, my goodness, this is what this denomination believes now. This is what they teach as fact. This is what they teach as truth. And as you're sitting there reading this, you're thinking, this is so not in line with the Bible. And I tell you this, I look at these verses there, verses 1 and 2, and you look at what groups and churches claim to be Christian, how many of them really have teachings that are in line with the Bible? What are they doing in verses 1 and 2? Exactly what it says. Scattering the flock, driving them away, not attending to them, God says, I hold you responsible. In the book of James, it says, not not, not many of you become teachers, for you'll receive a stricter judgment. There is a spiritual responsibility if you want to stand up and be a spiritual leader. What happened here in the nation of Israel, working backwards, judgment, chapter 25, because there was bad figs, chapter 24, and one of these bad figs were the spiritual leaders not taking care of the flock. What else do we have? Jump ahead to verse 10. False prophets. Verse 10 of Jeremiah 23 says, For the land is full of adulterers, for because of a curse the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil, and their might is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. The prophets and the priests were not walking with the Lord. We can't say for sure. But when we piece together Jeremiah, it sounds like he was the only prophet at this time really taking a stand for the truth. He was. What a difficult thing. What was everybody saying, though? Jump ahead to verse 25. I have heard what the prophets had said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. Then they go on to say in verse 26, How long will it be in this heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. See, what happens is they jump ahead, and if you want, you can read verses 30 through uh, 40. We don't have time tonight to do that. But what happens is these people just kept saying, I speak for the Lord. And all the people would say, well, I guess they speak for the Lord. Who are we to argue with you? You said you speak for the Lord. See, I've run into people like that. And you you can't argue with them. I've run into the dreamers that come up and say, you know what? I had a dream the other night, and the Lord revealed to me this. How are you supposed to argue with that? No, you didn't. Well, you know what? If you had a dream, great. The Lord can speak through that. I don't want to put God in a box. The Bible makes it clear. There's prophecies in Joel that that can happen. But it's got to line up with God's Word. When I hear people say, Thus saith the Lord, you better make sure, Thus saith the Lord. See, that's what's happening in verses 30 through 40. These people were coming up and they keep speaking about the oracles of God. God told us to say this. I've run into Christians where every conversation I have with them, God has told them to say something. And I'm just thinking, either you are a lot closer to Jesus than I am, or somebody's off here. And that you see that. And people then get intimidated by that. And what happens is, instead of listening to the word of God, this person sounds spiritual, this person looks spiritual. So... Obviously, they must be right. Who am I to argue with it? Thus saith the Lord. Now, jump, if you will, to Job chapter 4. Job chapter 4. If you remember in the book of Job, there's this story, obviously, of Job, but he's got these three friends. And I use that term lightly for friends. If you've ever studied out the book of Job, these three friends are far from helpful when it comes to Job. Well, he's got this one friend. And this one friend is the spiritual friend. And how can you argue with the spiritual friend? This is the one the Lord is always revealing something to them. This is the one where the Lord has always shown them something. Once again, hear my words. I'm not putting God in a box. God can move and work through visions and dreams. It's biblical. It's prophetic. That can happen. But what Jeremiah is saying is all these false prophets are saying, I'm dreaming. I'm having visions. God's revealing this. Well, look at this friend here. Verse 12 of Job 4. Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. And disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falls on man, fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair on my body stood up, It stood still. I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, Now how can you argue with that? Wow. I, you know, while you're sleeping, because you're fleshly, and you sleep, see, God comes to me at night. Now, verse 12, it's secret. It's secret. I've had actually heard people on the television say this, that they had a word of prophecy for me. And once I send in my love gift, they will show me and tell me what that word of prophecy that God has for me. Can you imagine dangling that over somebody's head? Can you imagine me coming up to you and saying, Listen, I have really been praying for you, praying for you. I know you're struggling with this. I was reading the other day, and the Lord really revealed something He wants me to tell you. Okay, Pastor James, what is it? You know what? Take me out to Applebee's. will once you take me out to Applebee's, I will gladly share the first part of it. And then once that meal's done, let's plan on something next week. I think Bob Evans sounds good. And then I will reveal the second part of what God has shown me to tell you. No! See, what happens is there's a verse 12. The secret word brought to me. Verse 12, it's only a whisper. See, you can't hear it, you know, because your ears aren't in tune with God like I am. So the secret whisper is brought to me. Now, verse 13, it's a little scary. And I'm only the one strong enough to handle it because most everybody else is sleeping. But I'm open my ears to the Lord all the time. Yeah, verse 14, I was scared. I was shaking. But then my hair stood up and I could see this appearance. And you get drug into this. I just saw something on TV where there was this gal. I believe it was a gal. Not that I'm doubting it was a guy or a gal. I just can't remember. I'm sure she was pretty if she was a girl. And I'm sure she was ugly if he was a guy. I don't know. But there was this person that wrote this book. And the book was Jesus came to them. And if you've read this book and you like it, my goodness, I'm stepping on toes. But Jesus came to this person for 30 days in a row. And every night that Jesus came, he would, and I'm not making this up, he would dictate part of the book to her. And that's how she wrote this book. And every time I hear something like that, I think of Job 4. Wow, how special are you that Jesus came to you every night for 30 days and would dictate a book to you? Now, some of you may say it could be, and you know what? You're always right. It could be. But what you see here in Jeremiah 23, these prophets saying, I dreamed a dream, I had oracles of God. You see here in Job 4, it's secretly at night, this person came, only to me, it's a secret whisper, I'm the only one that hears it. I'm telling you right now, if you ever run into somebody who claims to have that close connection to God, and it's only their close connection with God, my personal opinion, you just run from them. You just run from them. When you look at the Lord, the Lord is open. The Lord wants to bless many. And he doesn't play these favorites like this type of stuff. And I think what happens in these situations, we get spiritually intimidated because we walk away from that person saying, I don't get dreams. I don't get visions. I don't get the secret whispers in the night. I don't get that type of stuff. I just spend time in the Word and let the Lord speak to me through His Word. I know that's boring. That's not exciting. But it's biblical. It's biblical. So we've got to be careful here. These spiritual leaders in Jeremiah 23, they were not spiritual leaders in any way whatsoever. They were bad figs, and God said, be careful of them. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about Jeremiah 23 here? Any of the spiritual leaders that we talked about, or the dreams, the visions, or the things coming at night? Alrighty, what do we always say? Once again, grace in the middle of judgment. Look at verses 16 through 20 of Jeremiah 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, The Lord has said, that's just what we talked about, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, No evil shall come upon you. Verse 18, Who has stood in the counsel of the Lord, and has perceived and heard His word? Who has marked His word and heard it? Behold a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back. See, that's exactly what's said there in verse sixteen. They've created a vision in their own heart. Verse 17, they say the Lord has said, now, I just want to make this abundantly clear. I do truly believe the Lord can speak through dreams. I believe the Lord can speak through visions. I I firmly believe that. There's personal accounts of that. I believe and I believe are true. I also do believe that we can say with confidence, the Lord hath said. I don't want to put the spiritual realm in a box because God is amazing and He moves in miracles and He can speak through that. What these verses are talking about in Job and also in Jeremiah is the people that continually use that type of spiritual wording for their own profit, their own good, their own intimidation, their own pride. I don't want you to ever sit here and say, Gosh, I was just about to ask James tonight after church. I had this weird dream and I feel like the Lord is speaking to it, but now I know I can't. No, I'm not saying that. This is the people that are using this for their own profit, their own purpose to build themselves up. God says, be aware. So, Jeremiah 25, there's judgment. Jeremiah 24, wiser judgment because of good and bad figs. Jeremiah 23, spiritual leaders were part of the bad figs. Jeremiah 22, governmental leaders are part of the bad figs. Jeremiah 22, verse 11. For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who has reigned instead of Josiah's father, who went from this place, he shall not return here anymore. He shall die in the place where they have led him captive and shall see this land no more. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work, who says, I will build myself a wide house with spacious chambers and cut out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. See, what was happening is, these governmental leaders, they looked good. They looked real good. We were just talking about this a couple Sundays ago, about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Outside, they looked righteous, they looked holy, they dressed the part, they spoke the part, they acted the part. But God said, inside you are dead. See, these governmental leaders, verse 14, you look by their houses, they look good. This is a danger in Christianity. We come to church... And we look good. We act good. We speak properly. We do this. We, we act like Christians. But then when we get out into the real world, it's almost like, Phew, I can take my hat off now. And then what happens is when we're in the real world, we see somebody from church. Oh, real quick, put it back on. See, these governmental leaders looked good, sounded good, acted good. But what happened is there's nothing. Look at verse 15. Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? What God is saying is, do you have the right to lead my nation just because you look good? Just because you sound good? Just because you speak well? No. Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteous? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord? Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. God's not fooled by anything. Every now and then I'll run into somebody and talk to them, and they'll say something to the fact of how frustrated they are. They're frustrated that there's this person they know, and this person acts right, talks right, whatever, and they said, I know what they're really like. They're fooling everybody. My first response always is, they're not fooling God. Well, they're fooling everybody else. That truth will eventually come out. Just like the Lord says here in verse 15, Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? The truth will come out. I am a firm believer in that the truth will eventually come out. And these people that are frustrating, and I don't mean this judgmentally, but they're spiritual hypocrites, they're not fooling anybody. God knows the truth. And He knows whose kids are His. He knows whose kids aren't. Just like going back now to Jeremiah 24, He knows who the good fig is and He knows who the bad fig is. Judgment was coming to Israel, the bad figs were there, those bad figs were the spiritual leaders, and they were the governmental leaders. God was not fooled by any of this. Jeremiah has now been prophesying for two plus decades. No one wanted to listen. Judgment had come, and since judgment was coming, Israel was going to be judged. But as we said in chapter 25, 24, 23, and now chapter 22, there's grace. Look at Jeremiah 22, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, Execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you indeed do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house, riding on chariots and horses, accompanied by servants and people who sit on the throne of David. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, this house shall become a desolation. Very simply put, he goes, if you obey me, They'll be blessed. How simple of a concept is that? Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings punishment. When we live a life that's not in line with God's Word, how can we expect God to bless something He's not in? Israel as a nation was not living according to God's Word for centuries. How could they expect God to bless them? God in His infinite grace sent them prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. To speak to them the truth, they chose not to listen. There's a lot of correlations here between Jeremiah and the world we live in today. The world we live in today, the Lord has sent item after item after item to preach to an ungodly world. The world just doesn't want to hear. It builds up to the second coming of Christ. It builds up to the tribulation and the book of Revelation. And the world is not guiltless about this. They have heard, they have chosen to reject. Same thing with us spiritually. We have heard, hopefully we choose to listen, and hopefully we're like I—excuse me—like Jeremiah. We keep moving forward and being a preacher of righteousness to this dying world, because we care. So what you see here in Jeremiah 25, 24, 23, and 22, judgment coming. There were the bad figs. Those bad figs were the spiritual leaders, the governmental leaders, and they needed to be judged for what there was going on as a nation. But all times, in every chapter... There's an element of grace where God says you can get out of this if you just obey. Same thing still applies today. We can get out of this if we just obey and choose to follow the Lord. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here? Shirley. Right. That's a very good question. A couple things I'll say on that. First off, according to the law, one of the requirements was for any king of Israel, they had to personally write out a copy of the law. That was a requirement. So, I mean, imagine that. When you were anointed king of Israel, one of your first requirements as king of Israel, according to the law, is you personally have to make your own copy of the law. So the kings would be without fault, because they would have told to do that. Here we're talking about Josiah. Well, what happened is, if I remember correctly, Josiah was the king that found the law and then since he found the law he brought reforms to Israel so there were righteous kings in Israel that at times tried to bring the people back on the path they were supposed to be doing so to answer your question how would the commoner have known the truth because the truth was out there through Jeremiah through certain kings it was out there through certain priests as well now the question comes up of, well wait a second if, if a commoner is hearing Jeremiah saying, judgment's coming, and the commoner is also hearing the false prophets, many false prophets, saying, no, peace is coming, who am I going to listen to? Well, that's where I think sometimes we put God in a box. The Lord also speaks to us through our heart. I mean, the Holy Spirit, part of His job is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. There's an element of truth that is given to us, and that element of truth we either follow or not. So these people had a choice to follow the element of truth. They would have known the stories of the Bible. They would have known the system. Sacrifices were still going on at this time. The temple was still set up at this time. It wasn't that they were a godless society. They were a hypocritical backslidden godless society. So I guess to answer your question, how would they have known? There still were righteous kings at certain times. The truth of the law was still being out there that people could listen to. And the sacrifices in the temple system was still set up. So there were opportunities for the truth to be told. The majority of the people chose not to. Does that mean every person rejected? No, we know from studying out Daniel, Daniel was one of the captives that was taken and was taken to Babylon, and he had an element of truth in him, and he chose to follow that truth. So there were good figs, just like we talked about in Jeremiah 24. There were good figs that chose to listen to what was being preached out there. Some chose not to, but some did choose to. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, that's the... That is the simplest thing about the test of prophecy. Uh, you know, a few years ago, someone came up and said, Well, there was this prophet that said this. What do you think? And they made a certain prediction at a certain date something was going to happen. If I remember correctly, it was Israel was going to announce they're starting to build the temple. This was a couple years ago. And they came up to me in February and said, In May, they said this is going to happen. What do you think? I said, Let's wait to May and see if it happens. That's the simplest way to tell if a prophet's true. If you come up to me and say, Thus saith the Lord, April 26th, this is going to happen. Well, then I'll see if it happens on April 26th. And what happens is, in the Old Testament, that's exactly what Marv was saying. God said, I'm going to allow false prophets to come into your midst. Some of these false prophets are going to give false prophecies. Now, are you going to have a discerning ear to hear and listen? If you choose to listen and go down the path of them, you will be judged right along with them. But yet, if you'll listen to my truth... You won't be judged in any way whatsoever. So that is something where God says, I will let you know the truth, or you're going to be listening to it. Anybody else have anything I want to say? Yeah, Jody. So between this time you know, like, you all this and I mean like dead? I want to say no, not totally dead because, once again, I use the example of Daniel. Daniel was taken as a captive from Jerusalem during this time, or from Israel, I should say, and was taken as a captive to Babylon. And also at that same time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went too. So right there's four good figs that survived the destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah survived the destruction of Jerusalem. He actually wrote the book of Lamentations, and at the end of this, he got sent down to Egypt. So there were good figs that survived the judgment of Israel here, and some of them went on. Like I said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were some of those, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, there, there were ones that did, and that's a very good point. If obviously, no one absorbed the message, what happened to the nation of Israel? There were a lot that didn't, but there were some good in it. And that's the thing is, I think sometimes we get frustrated here at end times, and I don't mean to step on anybody's toes when I say this, so don't get mad at me, but I hear a lot of times in end times people talk about revival, that there's going to be a revival in the end times. There's really not a revival in the end times. According to Timothy, there's just a remnant in the end times. If you look, as the time gets worse, more people fall away, which leaves a stronger, more solid core. And I think that's what happened here in Israel. As all these bad figs were destroyed, it left a smaller but stronger core. Once again, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, a stronger core that was focused on the Lord. And Daniel's ministry covered decades of standing for the truth. Anybody else have anything I want to say here? Yeah, Rose. Right. It's like, you know, it's like, it's darker, darker because you know, they're okay in these and you know, they're, they're famous people who you would expect, you know, maybe, well I was, I was, it, Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's right, our eyes. right And and like I said, I don't want to squelch the spirit and some of you may say you are, I'm not it's not revival, it's remnant. And I think as we get to the end times, we have a responsibility as the remnant to say, okay, Lord, I want to be stronger, brighter, more solid, on fire for you than I ever could be. As the time gets near the end, I want to impact more lives than I ever could. Because it is. It's a remnant going through the fiery furnace. That's really what it is. Anybody else have anything else to say? Just to throw the scripture behind what Marv was mentioning and I was mentioning, it's Deuteronomy 13. It's Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through, oh, what it is here, about 8, 9, or 10 there. It's about how God says, I will send false prophets, and I will also send true prophets. And it says, God is testing them, but the God will reveal the truth. So even when the false prophet comes up, according to Deuteronomy 13, God is saying, you will still have the ability to distinguish true from false if you're seeking me. So that's Deuteronomy 13. There. All right. May I ask anything they want to say before we close up? All right. Let's go ahead and pray, and will let you guys go. Heavenly Father, as we just come to you, it's easy to look at a, a study like this, and it's a little bit of a downer, Lord. But we're thankful. There's that element of grace in, in everything, Lord. Everything, Lord. Help us just in the world we live in to not get pulled down by little things that have no eternal significance. Lord, relationships with others, problems at work, problems in church, problems at home. Help us not to get brought down by those little things, but to be a strong remnant, standing firm for you, shining for you. And Lord, we want to do that. We want to be a witness. Very simply put, we want to be the good fig, Lord. Help us to do that. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Righty, we'll see you guys next week and have a blessed week.